his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. We do have a Reardon Roundtable set for Friday afternoon. Jane will be with us on the panel. State Senator, former State Representative Nick Schroer, and former State Senator Jeff Smith all on the panel on Friday afternoon. You know, I've been kind of tossing in because um, if you had signed up for the Spain trip, you probably know that, you know, the the money for the trip is, is actually, I think, due here in the next few days. But... I've been communicating with Mike Kenny from Defined Destinations, and we had some spots open, been kind of tossing that in. I think it was last night at this time, I mentioned the Spain trip. Mike texts me at 6 o'clock and say, hey, someone just signed up. So I don't want to leave anyone on the table is what I'm trying to say. If you'd like to go to Spain, if you don't have travel plans for this year, it's going to be a spectacular trip. It's a very small, manageable group that we put together to head from St. Louis on Lufthansa into uh, into Germany and then right over to Madrid for three nights, Barcelona for three nights. Sunday to Sunday, you only have to take five days off work if you work during the week. Um, great sightseeing, lots of free time, food, and memories for a lifetime. So defineddestinations.com or the top of my Twitter site, which is at Mark Reardon KFTK. Hey, we got a couple yesterday. We get a couple more today, which would be awesome. Brad Young is back with us this afternoon. He is um, our 97.1 legal analyst with Harris Dow, Fisher & Young. I think you're going to fill in for me on Monday afternoon. Is that true? Can you confirm? Yeah, yes, I can confirm that. Uh, Lord willing and the crick don't rise, I'll be in uh, Monday in your slot. Because I'm taking that that holiday, and, and here's why. You know, when I was over on the other side of the building on the CAMOX side, I was a member of the union, SAG-AFTRA. And the way that that worked is we only got two, really officially two holidays a year. It was Christmas Day and New Year's. And if you wanted to take off the rest of the days, you know, that the rest of the company gets, you could take that as a vacation day. Now, Brad, in the effort of full disclosure, I benefited from that over the years because a lot of those holidays, if you think about it, Memorial Day, Labor Day, Fourth of July, there were baseball games, so I, I ended up not sure. being on the air anyway. But I always had to work the uh, President's Day and MLK Day, and I'm gonna take that day off on Monday. Sue's gonna take. <laughs> Sue was actually surprised. I think a lot of people are surprised because it came up on us so quickly, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of didn't believe it. I emailed the boss to say, "Me too." And he said, "Yep." And then we had to confirm. I'm sure, everyone else has done this too with their HR departments. I'm like, I don't think we get another day until Memorial Day that's a holiday. And then I looked. No, no, no. Brad, you're filling in for me on President's Day as well, just so you know. Well, yeah. uh, Apparently, I'm the HR guy for my law firm. So I decide when I have to work and when I don't. And of course, (laughs) I always make sure I'm available to fill in for you when you need me. Well, I appreciate it. You do a great job. And you do a great job 
analyzing some of these stories, and we, we have a really interesting one. You and I spent a lot of time. In fact, our conversation, one of our conversations about our circuit attorney, Kim Gardner, made it on the best of interviews the week of Christmas. But here you have a situation where a former employee of the circuit attorney's office has filed essentially a reverse discrimination suit. Explain what's going on here. Well, essentially reverse discrimination cases, Mark, are identical to regular disc- discrimination cases. Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 prohibits the employer from taking action against any employee on the basis of race. It doesn't specify it has to be race towards a minority. It's simply on the basis of race. So you have a plaintiff here. I believe her name is Rebecca Getz. Right. And she has filed this lawsuit essentially stating that she was in the office They were having a meeting and there were discriminatory remarks made to her. In fact, she was told that her and another white employee were acting like slave owners. She was told that she couldn't understand any of the programs that they were discussing because she wasn't black. And then the following day, right after this meeting, she gets fired. So she's filed this lawsuit against Kim Gardner. What I think is ironic here is that Kim Gardner has filed a lot of her own lawsuits claiming that she's been discriminated against based upon her race, you would think that her office would be uh, looking out for making sure that no one is discriminated against based upon their race. And here we have at least the allegation that uh, she is engaged in conduct that she's complained about regarding others. So... How, how do these cases, I mean, it's fascinating. And, and obviously there were people in that room that will be called for depositions and testimony um, to try to build a case. But what is there a way to gauge how these, you know, I know it's the same as regular racial discrimination cases, but I'm thinking that it's probably going to be different because it's usually different when there's a white person involved. So what are the chances here? I mean, do you think based on the information, this is tough because we don't know everything. Is there a case here, Brad? Well, the, the biggest problem here is that it's filed in state court. And if it's filed in state court, that means it's going to be in the city of St. Louis. And mm-hmm. you're going to have a jury comprised of members from the city of St. Louis who, as you've pointed out on numerous occasions, Mark, 77 percent of voters in the city voted to reelect Kim Gardner, knowing that she was perhaps the worst circuit attorney the city has ever had. And yet 77 percent voted for her uh, to, for reelection. That's the biggest problem here from a evidentiary standpoint, there's only four, uh, there's only four causes or rather four steps uh, that she, that the plaintiff would have to prove to win this case. And, and as you think about all four, she could meet those. Uh, She has to show uh, that she met expectations of the employer. Uh, My understanding is that Rebecca Getz can meet that. She has to show that the plaintiff suffered an adverse employment action. Well, getting fired, that would certainly qualify and that she was treated less favorably than similarly situated individuals who are not members of her race, she could show that too, because no one else in the office was called uh, a slave owner other than her, apparently, allegations, of course, other than her and the other white employee. So I think she can make legally make her case. The biggest problem is how will a city jury deal with this? Yeah, well, and it, it, it sort of, to me, also has the markings of something that we'll never, ever see the light of day in an actual courtroom, that there's going to be a settlement here. Right. There there, oh. there will be a settlement, uh, but that settlement will occur after some uh, preliminary depositions and interrogatories are done. And I think once the evidence comes out in the context of the case, 
about what was done and how she was fired, yes, you're exactly right, Mark. This will settle. It's interesting, though. I mean, that kind of came out of nowhere yesterday, and I thought that the details were were rather intriguing. All right, something else I've been talking about, Brad, this week is this, and I still think this is going to get a little bit more attention in the national media. There's been a lot of other things, obviously, even going back to what happened with McCarthy in the House last week. But there's a case from Houston, and I guess a grand jury is going to get involved here, which is going to lead to my prediction that there will be more to this. So uh, there's a guy eating uh, at a taqueria, a great little Ranchito Taqueria on Gessner Road in Houston, Mexican restaurant. There's a bunch of people in there just eating their meals, and a guy walks in wearing all black, including a black ski mask and black gloves. He's waving a gun around. He wants people's money and wallets. So people start dropping their wallets, and then as he works toward the back of the uh, taqueria, there's a guy that had already handed out his wallet, and he's got a gun, unbeknownst to the uh, to the robber. So the robber passes him by, and this guy just puts a bunch of slugs into him and kills the guy. And then I guess there is a little bit of controversy based on what happened at the end. But am I skipping any of the details outside of what happened at the end of this? No, no, you've got the details right, Mark. And and the real question here, uh, there there's a there's a case in Missouri unrelated case in Missouri, where the question is whether an employee is out drinking, whether they're within the scope and course of their employment. And the Court of Appeals in Missouri said the first couple of bars was within the scope and course of his employment. But after the first three or four bars, it became a personal endeavor, which I thought was funny seeing that in a Court of Appeals case. We have that situation here because I've looked at the Texas Criminal Code. I reviewed it today and there's no question there's no question he was within his rights, the uh, the customer, and that customer is still anonymous, by the way, but that customer uh, had the right to pull a gun, shoot this robber, kill him, uh, even though it was just stealing his property. Uh, there was no question under Texas law that that was valid. But here's where it becomes fascinating, Mark. If you look at it, this guy, the customer, fired nine shots at the uh, at the criminal, now decedent. And if you look at it, I broke it down by the number of shots. So if you look at the first four shots where the customer shoots at the at the robber, at that point, I think there's no question that he was simply defending himself. Well, because the next- also, the, you know, the one thing that, that becomes apparent, and th- these are tough things to watch when you see someone being shot, but it's not like in the TV show where the guy just goes down on the first shot. That's just It's just not how it happens. Right. Right. I mean, there's a kinetic impact of a bullet hitting you, but you're right. It's not it's not like what we see in the movies. So the first four shots, no question in my mind uh, that that is self-defense. And when you look at the next three shots and I watch the video again, I think that the, uh, the the robber was masked. The gun was still very close to the robber's hands. And you can make the case that, well, as long as the gun is still close to his hand, you're still doing self-defense. Here's where it becomes tricky. On the eighth shot, uh, the the shooter is now just on the ground. He's not moving. And then after that eighth shot, there's the ninth shot. And when that happens, this guy is not moving. The robber, the gun is nowhere close to the robber. And that ninth shot almost looks like a vengeance shot. So what the grand jury is going to be looking at here is at the totality of the evidence, did, did it justify him going all the way to the eighth shot to kill the robber? And really, by that time, he was probably already dead anyway. At that point, was it excessive force? Brad, I have a question. It, 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 does it matter that it is excessive force? In other words, it, it, maybe this guy is not used to this sort of situation and was just freaking out. I'm sure that's what his defense lawyer will say. Sure. And that's certainly what I would say, too, if I were his defense attorney. But when you look at the law, it says that a person, Texas law, that a person is justified 
using deadly force. But the question is going to be, once he's not moving and you're continuing to shoot and the gun is nowhere close to this robber who's bleeding out on the floor, is that really the use of, a, of force to protect yourself? Or does that rise to the level of being vengeance? Did he yeah. ha, did he feel like he was Clint Eastwood in a movie and was just putting an extra bullet in his head to say, take that? Does uh, that's it, really what the grand jury is going to be looking at. Brett, does it matter at all? Because the other thing, in, in when you see the video, for those people who haven't seen the, the video, you see all this transpire and the guy's on the floor. And then the guy who, as you indicated, has not been identified, although police know who he is and you know they're talking to him right now. He goes for the other gun that the guy dropped on the floor. It was a fake gun. So does that matter, though? It doesn't matter that it's a fake gun. Certainly at the very beginning, it doesn't matter at all. Because uh, Texas law, like any other state, uh, if the person has is is using something that purports to be a weapon, you have a reasonable uh, response to that by assuming that it's real. But once and this is very critical, if the customer can identify the gun as being a toy gun and then shoots the robber after identifying it as a toy gun that to me could raise criminal liability yeah well we don't have that here you know because it's a very clear case where the guy you can see it on the video the guy looks at the gun and he's pissed off that it's a fake gun i think he even I, I think there's audio where he says a fake gun he throws it against the wall and you know he's frustrated then he ditches out of there because he doesn't know what the consequences are going to be i can here's what i can see happening on a grand jury because when he starts shooting the guy and i have no problem with what transpired all the way down to the last shot however i can see people on a grand jury taking a look at this and saying he didn't fire any shots you know there wasn't anything where someone's life was directly in danger so this may result in an indictment now that doesn't mean no, you know a guilty conviction especially in texas i i think there's going to be an indictment here i'm not saying he's going to mm. get um you know it's Texas, though, Brad. I don't know. Does a grand jury have it within their well, it, ability yeah. to say? Eh. Well, if you look at the, again, let's always go back to the law, not necessarily how we feel, but let's look at the law. If you look at the Texas Penal Code, Section nine point forty two, it even indicates that a person is justified in using deadly force uh, in order to protect their property, which would include cash or wallets. So right. at, this, at the time, the guy is stealing money. He had the right under Texas law to drop the robber like a bad habit. Regardless of whether, regardless of whether his life was or was not in danger, because their property was a danger. Well, the question becomes: Did once you get shots. to that eighth and ninth yeah. shot, yeah. was that necessary or was it vengeance? Um, what about? Is there any criminal liability because there was somebody else that was sitting in the other corner of the restaurant that he was sort of pointing in? It's hard to see the angles from the videotape, but is that something that could potentially be a charge? I, you know, I don't think so. I don't. I, I don't see any other possible charges here other than that eighth and the ninth shot. Because even, particularly in Texas, but anywhere, if you're applying this law, the law is very clear that the that the customer was completely justified to use deadly force. And so that's that's the only question as I see here in the entire matter is those last two shots. Hey, Brad, we've got a question from somebody who said, how many seconds did it take from the first to the last shot? Do either of you know? In other I, words, it boom, 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 like boom. 15 well, seconds. Here, maybe. Here's what I, I did actually run that. I'm, I'm sorry to say that I looked at that. <laughs> no, that's because fine. It, in this instance, the, the, the first volley of shots I'm going to look at my notes here. The first volley was actually four shots. In other words, he did boom, 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 four shots first. And then there's a pause. And then there's another three shots. 
as the shooter was walking towards the now downed robber. So there was first four, then three, then there was an eighth shot, there was a pause, and then the ninth shot. And that's why I think that timing here is very important as to whether or not there will or will not be an indictment against the shooter. But that was all like within the period of about 15 to 20 seconds, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. The whole event only takes 15 to 20 seconds. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Well, we'll see what the grand jury in Houston does. I just think it's a fascinating case for sure. Any thoughts on what's happening in Idaho, Brad? What we know so far. Oh, my goodness. Well, to me, the the most interesting aspect of this Idaho case is, and I admitted this on the air over on KMOX last week, we all assumed that nothing was going on on this case uh, when, in fact, the FBI, the police were really doing an amazing job. I read all 19 pages of that probable cause statement. And to me, Mark, it's fascinating what these uh, officials were able to do. At the same time, to me, as a person who is a strong advocate of our privacy rights, it, it, it always reminds me that if you have a cell phone, there is nothing private. And even your own DNA genetic code is not private because of these genetic DNA commercial sites. So when someone tries to find out if their if their relatives are from Scotland, they could actually providing be providing incriminating evidence against you. They may not even know you. It may be a fourth cousin. So it just reminds me that privacy is the last vestige of private information that we have, and that's our DNA. By the way, we we talked about this. Sue and I discussed this before the four o'clock hour, but there's a fascinating case that cleared here this afternoon. There's going to be a news conference tomorrow. Did you see this story about the woman who was decapitated back in 2004 and they finally found the guy? No, no, okay. I didn't see that. So I was actually is, doing legal work today. Well, this what? Is, this is just uh, <laughs> How dare you. Uh, I know, this is a story that was in the post earlier today. So, um, 2004 is when this happened. Deanna Denise Holland, uh, they found part of her torso at that rest stop right there, you know, near Warrington uh, on I 70. And they identified the guy who they arrested for Maryland Heights, Mike Clardy, C-L-A-R-D-Y, 63 years old. They've charged him with second-degree murder. They matched his DNA to recently retested DNA fragments left on the body and a knife found in a sewer nearby. They didn't even have an identity of the body until 2016. So this was a cold case. They didn't even know who the woman was. And they finally found that out, and they've been tracking this down. And they made an arrest, and he admitted to it. So how fascinating is that? Well, yeah, I don't have a a legal problem with police using these techniques. It worked great in California to stop a serial killer. My problem is, is that we're too quick to give up voluntarily the most private information we have, which is our DNA. So I don't fault the police for using the tools that are available. No, I, I fault that. idiot people who voluntarily give up their DNA. Yep, I understand. That's the lawyer in you saying that. So I can understand that, Brad <laughs> Young. Hey, have fun as I'm enjoying the day off on Monday, MLK Day. Okay, you enjoy it, Mark. <laughs> Take care. Oh, I will. Believe me. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas... Phoenix, and Rhode Island. Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. 
Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. You want to go to a restaurant that cooks with electric stoves, right? That's that's what you want to do. We're hearing that maybe a ban of gas stoves is in the works. My preference, I think, would be gas. Great. Yeah, just because you can cook better on it. Yeah. You go to any nice restaurant, you look back in the kitchen, they've got gas appliances. I paid extra to switch to gas, so that there's your answer. My whole home is gas. No, gas all the way. In the end, it's about if I can save money, yes. If there are incentives, as there were for like EVs in the beginning, sure, absolutely. If not, then I'll just stick with whichever one, whichever option is cheaper. Oh, stop it. That guy's not even thinking this through. I, I would only support this in the sense that I am forced to essentially to have an electric uh, stove and oven because putting the gas line where my kitchen is um, is not very cost prohibitive. Well, it's cost prohibitive, I guess, is what I would say if they if they would switch around a head spire in my house. But look, this whole thing is a bunch of nonsense, and it's not about kids getting asthma. Let's face it, Steve Malloy is back with us this afternoon, former Trump-Pence EPA transition team member, founder of JunkScience.com. Steve, welcome back. How are you this afternoon? Happy New Year. Doing great. Happy New Year, Mark. Thanks for having me. This is about climate change as well, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Look, California and New York are already trying to ban new uh, gas appliances in new homes because of climate. And so the Biden administration just floated this as a trial balloon through the Consumer uh, Protection uh, Safety Commission. Yeah, this has been somewhat, I've tracked this a little bit, Steve, in California, because, and you're right, Kathy Hochul has a proposal now for any new construction to have um, no, you know, no option for, for gas heating. But the restaurants, you know, it's just so ironic because they love California and the woke nature of California. And then when it affects their business, as this will, they went nuts on this. And I don't know what the, the current status is, but this is just silly. How does how do these things even get to a trial balloon when you're talking about something as simple as having a gas stove or oven? Yeah, well, look, Joe Biden uh, promised an all-of-government approach to climate. And what the Consumer Product Safety Commission can do is start banning stuff. They don't like uh, gas stoves. Of course, they run into you know kind of a rough patch with that. What I don't think we're going to see this go any further, but they're going to ban everything they can that has anything to do with fossil fuels. Yeah, and that's that's the pattern, and it probably can't be stopped until there's a new administration. Although maybe helped a little bit with the Republican House, you would hope. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that there's lots of oversight that Republicans need to do. And they need to start passing bills like, you know, yesterday they uh, uh, voted to get, you know, voted to repeal the, the 87,000 IRS agents. Of course, that's not going to go anywhere in the Senate. But Republicans, you know, any future bill that uh, Democrats want to talk about, they got to attach that, that, you know, that legislation like that. And then there's also lots of other legislation they could, you know, use to roll back the Biden climate agenda. They should claw back a lot of that $369 billion that uh, – is going out the door through John Podesta and the Inflation Reduction Act. I mean, there's things they could do if they have the, you know, the you know what. 
What, what did you make? I, I think I talked about this yesterday. There was a story that indicated that the uh, the ozone layer is healing right now because we don't have, and you know, I'm old enough to remember, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, where they banned hairspray back when I was in the yeah. 80s because of the, the floral carbons or whatever uh, they're called. So, yeah, so, so the ozone hole, ozone depletion, that was the original atmospheric hoax. Uh, there never was any, you know, good science behind that. I mean, the chemistry is true. You know, fluorine does destroy ozone in the atmosphere, but then the ozone quickly reforms. They never really understood anything about the ozone layer. There never was any increase in ultraviolet radiation coming through because of the ozone you know, it's not even a hole. It's just like a slight thinning over Antarctica. It was just a total hoax. Uh, I remember being in a meeting with Al Gore 16 years ago where, you know, Al, Al Gore admitted that the purpose of the Montreal Protocol, which is the treaty banning CFCs, you know, the refrigerants that were you know, supposedly causing the problem, the reason for the treaty was not to save the ozone layer. It was just to show that, you know, an international treaty on the environment could be had. And then, of course, that led six years later to the infamous uh, UN Climate Treaty, which has you know put us on this on this, uh, as Jamie Dimon would say, the road to hell. Yeah, and all of those treaties, Paris Climate Accord, sort of the same thing. They really, and as you know, Steve, you and I have talked about this before. Even the most ardent climate change alarmists realize that the Paris Climate Accords wouldn't really put a dent into what they're trying to do anyway. Well, what they're trying to do is gain uh, power over our lives. They're not really trying to change the weather because they're not that stupid. I mean, they have the Internet. They read, they read the things that you know, people like me write. Uh, it's, not about, it's not about the environment. It's about political control. And you can see through climate, you can control virtually the entire economy. Steve Malloy is with us this afternoon. He is a senior legal fellow at the Energy and the Environment Legal Institute. Here come the headlines in a couple of different fashions right now. You have all this weather in California, and the headlines say climate change makes extreme weather worse. This is one of those continuing myths out there about, you know, we get this about tornadoes in the Midwest. You hear about hurricanes. There's unfortunately no evidence that that's happening, is there? No. uh, It it is scientifically impossible to tie any single event back to emissions or, you know, global warming, climate change, whatever you want to call it. And there is no uh, trend in any sort of natural disaster or all natural disasters taken together that correlates with emissions. Uh, there's just no science behind that. It's just, it's just bad weather, bad luck. All right. So then how do you respond to this? And this is another one of those things that comes up in the headline in the Washington Post even yesterday. The last eight years have been the warmest on record. Researchers say last year was the fifth hottest ever recorded on the planet. The European Union's Copernicus Climate Change Service announced Tuesday it's part of an unabated broader warming trend as humans continue to emit massive amounts of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. Steve, it's almost like, um, you know, a holiday, Christmas, New Year's, the, the calendar clicks over and you see these stories about the hottest year on record. Well, the first, I got two, really two, two things to say. The first one is that over the past eight years, there has been no global warming at all and that is despite 14% of man-made CO2 going into the atmosphere. So no global warming over the past eight years at all. Over the past 30 years, if you take out the non-CO2, non-greenhouse gas-related effects like the 1991 uh, Mount Pinatubo eruption and then the El Ninos that really started kicking in in 1998, if you take those non-CO2 events out, there hasn't been any warming at all. I mean, there's been warming over, since, you know, over the last 30 years, but, you know, that is related to the El Ninos because it's gone up in very stepped fashion. And, you know, where, what, what's gonna, what the future is, I don't know, 
but there's no discernible CO2 warming happening. But when they say, so how do they come up with these numbers that say, look, because you hear them every year, and I, I seem to talk about it every year, that this was the you know the third hottest on record. This was the fifth hottest on record. This yeah. was the second. Every year it yeah, seems well, so to happen, It's, right? it's easy, easy to explain. So, like, so uh, you know, we, we, the, the world has been warming most recently uh, since about 1650. It's just increasing. And, you know, we've had all – since before the Industrial Revolution, we've quadrupled the number of people on the planet. Just to be clear, too, 1650, that was when the Cadillac Escalade came out, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. So there's lots of people. There's lots of waste heat. We have these – we've had these El Ninos that have really, you know, caused warming. But there's no warming that you – know, no discernible CO2 warming in all of this. So – and that, that is really – you know, the issue is not – is there warming? Yeah, there's a little bit of warming. It's no big deal. Uh, what's causing the warming? That's the issue. And no one can, um, you know, discern any CO2 warming because, for example, the last eight years, 14 percent of man-made CO2, no warming at all. Where's the warming? Uh, before that, be- before the last El Nino happened, we were in this thing called the global warming pause for 14 or 15 years where you know, there were lots of emissions but no warming. Uh, what, you know, if CO2 is driving the warming, then the warming should be continual. We had a story yesterday. Sue, do you remember the numbers of population? Because you start to put this into global terms, and obviously um, the U.S. wants to be a leader. That's what we hear from this administration and from Al Gore. But we have, what, 340 million people in this country, roughly? Yeah. Uh, India is about to overtake China. So between the yeah. two of those, you have more than 2 billion people, 2.5 yeah. billion people. Yeah. Yeah, and and of course those people are all wanting to have a uh, you know for lack of a better description a high carbon lifestyle because you know when you improve your standard of living you use more energy and right now that is mostly uh, fossil fuel related. Look, emissions are going up with no end in sight. You know the good news is that the emissions are good for plants. So the Earth is greener than ever. Uh, more people are leading a healthier, wealthier lifestyle than ever before. We can't see. There's no sign of CO2 warming or, you know, any of the, you know, hysteria, planet-ending hysteria that is coming true. So we're, we're really doing pretty well. I mean, you know, we've got real problems uh, to focus on in this country, like that open border and the crime and lots of other things. This, you know, this climate stuff is just distracting people. It's costing us, uh, you know, a hell of a lot in tax dollars. We're accomplishing nothing. You know, we need to elect politicians who are going to focus on real problems, not worry about what the weather is going to be in 100 years. And most people in this country, I think, get it, right? Even the, the yeah. middle-of-the-road people who might vote for Democrats, you can see it in the polling. They, they know what the priorities should be. And I, I, my hope is that every year you get past all of the, um, you know, the predictions. When did Greta start predicting that the planet was pretty much going to wrap up. That was about four years ago, and I think yeah, it was a seven-year prediction, right? So Look, even, even New York Times readers get this. The New York Times had a poll in the summer uh, of, of uh, likely voters. Only 1% of likely voters prioritize climate, okay, 1%. This is not an issue. This is an issue for the elites, the Biden administration, the universities, the researchers, the Davos crowd, the wind and solar industry. These people are going to destroy our economy. I mean, look at, you know, this whole war in Ukraine. Um, Yeah, you can blame Vladimir Putin, but you know what? Who enriched Vladimir Putin and empowered Vladimir Putin to do all this? Well, it was the Europeans who started dismantling their fossil fuel plants and made themselves dependent on Putin and enriched Putin and made all this possible. 
Steve Malloy, it's always great to have you on the show here in St. Louis to put things into perspective. I really appreciate it. And have a right, happy Mark, new year. Thank you. you. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate you it. 540. You know, he touched on something there that caught my attention with the research that goes out there in academia. And Derek Thompson had a piece. I've, I've described my relationship with the Atlantic before. During the pandemic, I was reading Derek's stuff because I thought he had a pretty good handle on some of the things with COVID two years ago. Well, I kept meeting the paywall. Right? Oh, yeah. So I subscribe. So now I'm a subscriber to the Atlantic and I don't even know what I pay probably too much, but they are about as lefty as possible. But this Derek Thompson guy every once in a while has things that are rather intriguing, and I'm not risk-averse to reading the other side. So today's story was the Consolidation um, Disruption Index is alarming. Science has a crummy paper problem. And here's the point here. We should be living, he says, in a golden age of creativity and science and technology. We know more about the universe and ourselves than we did in any other period in history. With easy access to superior research tools, our pace of discovery should be accelerating. But... As I wrote in the first edition of this newsletter, and I missed that, America is running out of new ideas. Everywhere we look, we find that ideas are getting harder to find. A group of researchers from Stanford University and MIT famously concluded in 2020. Another paper found that scientific knowledge has been in clear secular decline since the early 1970s and concluded that new ideas no longer fuel economic growth the uh, the way they once did. And Derek Thompson kind of goes into the decline of scientific breakthroughs and entrepreneurship. And basically, um, he, he's done a lot of investigation into this. But one of the things that he sort of, I, I would say, exposes in this particular thing, and we've done, I can't remember all the details, we've done some work on this in the past, is that these papers that academia produces, research papers, which, by the way, we pay for with our tax oh, dollars, right? The majority of the time are increasingly not accurate and not for the benefit of moving science or the planet or anything else Very forward. Interesting. It's for the purpose of having that person in academia working on their doctorate or doing something along those lines to move their career forward. And I thought it was an interesting piece, and he's certainly not wrong about that. And science is getting less productive. It's because they're not focusing on science. They're focusing on getting further in their careers. And you can't trust some of these documents. They've been exposed as false in some cases. And these are things that make it into journals and publications, which is a little frightening. 543, St. Louis' home for conservative talk. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. 
So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Arguably his best known song, Jeff Beck with uh, Rod Stewart here. People get ready. Jeff Beck, that's his beautiful guitar work there. Um, And we're going to have this at the end of the show here after we wrap up audio cut of the day as well. But Jeff Beck died today at the age of 78. And, uh, you know, I I have heavy regret that I never saw him in concert. I chatted via text with Chris Myhill, who was a longtime producer here in this building. And Chris Chris and I have a lot of uh, musical crossover tastes, and he was a big Jeff Beck fan. And he even said that he didn't have the appreciation for Jeff Beck and how good of a guitar player he was until he saw him live in person. And he was a big fan of St. Louis because he came here all the time and played the Fox Theater. All right, uh, a couple of things here. I, ha- I sort of have an audio cut of the day that is picked out, but I wanted to play a couple of things that might be interesting for folks. And l- let me start with this. Uh, this guy, by the way, Sue, and I'll just ask the question this way because this was sort of stunning to me when I looked at the date. The shooting at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde. What month was that in, in 2022? Gosh, I can't, uh, uh, June? It was in May. That was close. I was certainly thinking June, July, but it goes back to May of last year. Pete Arandondo, Pedro Pete Arandondo was the police chief, and he was very controversial at the time, and he has finally said some things publicly. Oh, if I can play him. Wow. No, there was probably victims in there. And with the shots I heard, I, I know there's probably somebody who's going to be deceased. My first thought is that we need to we need to vacate. We haven't been we haven't contained, and I know this is horrible. And I know this is what our training tells us to do, but we haven't contained. There's probably going to be some deceased in there, but we don't need any more from out here. So I called out and I said, "Get these kids out." Okay, Whatever I told him, bust those windows, get them out. Throughout this deal, I was trying to get make communication with him. He's communicating. Can you hear me, sir? I'm certain. I heard him reload. I, I heard something over the pin. You obviously well know what that sounds like. Uh, not with a pin, I'm sorry, with a, with a clip. I'm assuming he reloaded, but I know he did something with it. Uh, I did hear that at one time. I don't know if it, there was a second. Um, he never responded at all. We're going to get scrutinized. I'm expecting that. Uh, we're going to get scrutinized. Why we didn't go in there? Wait, what's he saying? He didn't go in because he heard him reload? Well, he says he's going in. He... he, he said that because they had him contained and he knew that there were deceased children, but he felt like they had him contained. And because of that, he felt they didn't need any more victims from outside of those classrooms, classrooms 111 and 112. You know what that means? He's saying that my people are more important than the kids. Well, but I I agree with that. I think he's wrong here. I, I don't know if that's what he's saying. I think he might be saying we didn't want kids outside of the school. But let's put that aside for a moment, because the problem with that is I can see initially you making that decision based on whatever information he had at the beginning. But he stuck with that choice for over an hour. And as he indicated, he had even heard they thought that the guy was reloading and they knew that children were trapped alive. Yes. You, know, you know how they know that? Because they had a kid calling 911 yes. multiple times Get over the course of that hour. In there. So I, I didn't hear that entire interview, um, but 
that's interesting that he's finally saying something through, um, I guess, through an attorney. Um, I'm trying to think if he if he said anything else here that was sort of interesting. Uh, I don't know. That that's and, and why did he eventually go in? Why why did it take an hour? Why what were we waiting for? What did he think was going to occur? Well, he he said that he remembers officers were in a pyramid formation all on the same side of the highway. If the gunman would come out the door, when he tried the handle of the door to another classroom, it was unlocked with students and a teacher inside. Then he made the decision to save others first. So that's what changed his mind, I guess. He opened. He tried to. I don't know, because I think what he's saying is because there were kids in that other classroom, this is how I interpret it now that I think about it, we know that there are dead kids, we know that the shooter is contained, we don't any, want any more victims, but I, I don't know if that's the explanation that's going to get him out of this. He had 19 kids and two teachers killed in that massacre. Um, and at least three of the dead, we know, were still alive through the 77 minutes when they were kind of sitting there trying to figure out what to do, unfortunately. Uh, let's do this here. Now, the audio cut of the day. Well, I'm not making this up. There were more documents that were uncovered today, more secret documents that Joe Biden had when he left the White House as vice president. So we remember how critical this president was of the former president, Donald Trump, when everything happened at Mar-a-Lago. So Peter Ducey in the press room with KJP asking a very on-point question. How could anyone be that irresponsible? Isn't that what this president says about mishandling classified documents? The president spoke to this personally. He spoke to this personally. He, again, he believes that uh, classified documents and information should be taken seriously. He takes them seriously. And he was surprised to learn by any any records. I disagree. I disagree. Here's what happened. Here's what happened once. Ah, we don't need to hear what happened. It was a great question. And he got her again. Yep. I love it. Peter Ducey, audio cut of the day, 554. We'll take you out of here with Jeff Beck. He died today at the age, actually, I think it was technically yesterday, of 78. Have a great night. We'll be back tomorrow, 3 o'clock. Get more at 971talk.com. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this... Why? A lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.